Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I want to welcome you. If I didn't meet you before the service, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm always at the back, right at those back doors, and would love to uh, say hello and just answer any questions that you may have. If you are not new with us, you know that we just began a series on the book of Titus last uh, Sunday, and um, today we're actually going to take a break from the book of Titus to address some of the recent tragedies in our nation. And so, uh, like many of you, uh, I've been thinking and praying and processing and, and wrestling, and I'm still doing that, to be honest with you. And so I, I stand before you today, not just as a pastor, I, I stand before you today as a, as a husband, as a father, um, as a human being, as a, as a citizen in, in this country, um, and I'm still trying to process this and listen and learn and lead in the midst of a really difficult time. And as, as this week played out, I know for me that there were multiple emotions, as I imagine there were for many of you. There were multiple emotions of at first just shock and, and stunned. And as, at night when I would look at my phone or turn on the news and just something else would happen and it would just be shock and I would be stunned. And then quickly that would move to to grief, to sorrow. And then at times, honestly, it would move to anxiety. At times, it would move to a brokenness over our world and everything that's going on and everybody's response to what's going on and all the chatter and all the news and all the perpetuation of hate and violence in our country, in our world. And I had a lot of emotions about that, and I imagine you did as well. And I was asking, and I imagine some of you are asking, and our world in some ways is asking, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? Like, what do we need? And you need to know without being trite at all, none of those answers make sense without God. Like, maybe this week you, you've thought, like, what narrative do I believe? Like, which side should I be on? What agenda is most important? And you need to know the answer to all of those questions is, is God. That we need to, if you call yourself a Christian, if you profess the name of Jesus Christ, that we need to rise up as the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to believe the narrative, the story of God, that we need to side with God, that we need to see that God and his perspective matters most in all of life, in every season, in every time. And so we gather this morning to look to God, to look to his word. And you see, my, my fear for us is, is that we can stand on our own opinions and not kneel under the word of God. And you need to know there's only two options. We can stand on our opinions and our preferences and our personalities, or we can kneel under the word of God. And so that's what we do this morning is we, we go to God, we, we hush the noise and the chatter from every other voice, and we look to the voice of God and we hear his voice. And so my fear for our culture, my fear for our country in this moment is that God would be our last resort, not our first priority. And you see that, don't you? 
You see that in our culture right now, that, that we have the voices of the media, we have voices of politics, we have voices of agendas, we have hashtags. And then a little bit later, we, we throw in the voice of God. And maybe we say something like, our thoughts and prayers are with those families. And so my hope for Phoenix Bible Church, my hope for the, the broader church at large, is that we would be a people who come under the voice of God, the word of God, and that he would direct our, our actions, he would direct our, our thoughts, he would direct the feelings and the emotions that we all experience, that we as the people with God would do that. And we're going to do that this morning. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Nicole just read it. Uh, but some context for you, verse 35 summarizes what Jesus has been up to. He's been going from city to city proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's the good news, that, that God has come in the person of Jesus to fulfill his promise of blessing and rescue. And so Jesus has been preaching. And if you read the, the book of Matthew, you'll see that. You see a few chapters earlier, he, he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And then he goes on to do all these miraculous things. And so he's preaching and he's performing miracles and he's bringing healing. And this is key for us as Christians, especially in a time of suffering. Because as Christians in churches, we often like to debate what matters most. Like maybe you've even thought about this. Like how do we respond? What matters most? Is it word or is it deed? Is it proclamation? Is it practice? Is it declaration? Is it demonstration? Like, what does the world need from us right now? And the answer is both. Look at the text. What do you see Jesus doing? He's doing both. He's healing affliction. He's proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God. And it's the same for us. The answer is both. Our call on our lives in the midst of this season, in the midst of this difficulty is that we would proclaim and we would practice. We would declare and we would demonstrate the good news of Jesus Christ. That he would shine light into our darkness. That's the call in our lives. We see Jesus modeling that for us. And then we come to verse 36, and he's before these crowds of people. Verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice that, that third word in that verse, he saw. That when he saw the crowds, don't, don't miss that. That he opens up his eyes, that he sees the people. And listen, as I prayed and I processed and I prepared this week, my burden for you and my burden for us as Christians and specifically as Phoenix Bible Church is that we would see people. That we would see people. That as we look across our our news feeds, as we see debates on TV, as we see hashtags, as we see protests, as we see defenses, as we deflect, that we wouldn't miss seeing people. And I wonder, in all of that noise, do we actually see them? Do we see the people in Orlando? Do we see the people in Louisiana? Do we see the people in Minnesota? Do we see the people in Dallas? Like, literally, have you seen the pictures of their faces. Because you can. You can go and you can see the pictures of real people. And they even have pictures of real people with their spouses. And real people with their kids. Do you see those? Have you seen those? Have you taken a moment to back away from the noise and just to see 
people. You see, I think for a lot of us, we make assumptions, but we don't see. We, we slander, but we don't see. We stand up for our opinions, but we, we don't see. We don't see that there's real people with real needs, with real stories in every sphere of life. In every tragedy, in every event, that we would, like Jesus, that we would look among the crowds and we would see people and we would see faces and we would see stories because everybody has one. And that is followers of Jesus, just like Jesus, we would see people and that we would have the same response that Jesus has in that moment. Because as Jesus sees the people, verse 36, look at the verse, he has compassion. It's interesting that that root meaning of that word compassion in the original language refers to your inward parts, like your intestines. And what it's, what it's saying is that Jesus feels this deep sense, this deep feeling deep within his gut. It's like when you say, like, something struck me to the core, like something welled up deep within inside of me. That's what Jesus is experiencing as he sees the crowds, as he sees these people, and sees these stories, and sees these needs, he, he has this deep sense of compassion. And as we look at that, why does he have that? Look at the text. It says, they are harassed. That word literally means to be skinned or filleted, to be torn apart. That these people are suffering. And they're not only just suffering, but they're helpless in their suffering. They're like sheep without a shepherd, meaning they can't solve the suffering on their own. Does that sound familiar? As you look at our world, can we solve this? <laughs> can we fix this? No. We're like sheep without a shepherd. We're helpless. We're harassed at every turn. And we need something greater. And it's amazing as Jesus notices all this, he's coming off traveling. Remember, he's been preaching sermons. He's been going at it. He's been performing miracle after miracle. And as he gets to this point, he sees all these crowds of people harassed and helpless. And you would think maybe Jesus would say, hey, I've had enough. I mean, just give me a break. I mean, I've been doing enough. And that maybe he would see these crowds and see that they're harassed and see that they're helpless and say, can't you guys just get your act together? And maybe he would become frustrated. Or maybe he would look honestly and say, you know what, I've come for a, a great purpose that I'm going to go on and die on the cross and resurrect on behalf of mankind in the scope of eternity. And that, that maybe he would say, you know what, in this moment I see these crowds, I see these people, but instead of looking at them with compassion, I'm going to look at myself. Because you know what? I could really use some self-care right now. Because I got a lot ahead of me. And so I'm going to just take a day to focus on myself. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He sees them and he responds with compassion. With this deep sense in his gut of love, of empathy, of concern for all of these people in the midst of everything else that's going on. In his life, he feels compassion. And listen, I think we need to do some work in this area as a culture, as a church, me personally. And so, a little bit about this week for me as I begin to see these events unfold, 
of Friday, I began to look at the whole of them, and I'm thinking about Sunday, and we've been planning all week for Sunday and going through Titus. And I began to see all that's going on in our world, and I just realized in that moment we have to address this as a church. That as the pastor, I have to come up and we have to address this and we have to lead people in the midst of these difficult times. And and as I began to process that, I'll be honest, another emotion came and another feeling came and it was inconvenience. That I became inconvenienced by everything that's going on. That I began to look at my life and I thought, I will have family coming in. I have birthdays in my family that we have... uh, things going on. We're in the middle of a move that um, we're in the middle of the series Titus. We just started it, and I don't know if we're going to be able to make this passage up, and then are we still going to finish on time by August 14th to start the new series, and, and what is all going to happen? And I became inconvenienced. And then later that night, I went to a, a prayer gathering of a, a friend's church downtown, and, and we began to engage God. And as I began to engage God as a follower of Jesus, I began to engage God, and he and his grace began to convict me of my convenience and my selfishness. And I had to repent. Man, I had to look to God and repent and turn away from my convenience, and he began to move me to his compassion. As I felt his compassion on me, it began to move me to compassion for others. As I saw God, as I saw him, he began to let me see them. And you say, well, who's them? Listen, it's everybody but me. That in that moment, as I met with God, I began to see people. I began to move past myself. And listen, as I look at our culture, specifically in a place like Phoenix, here's my concern, is that we are a culture of convenience, aren't we? I mean, you just look at our city. We're a culture of convenience. I mean, we have every shopping mall, every strip mall, every restaurant you could ever imagine. And it's on every corner, right? We're a culture of convenience. It's not just in our city. It's in our churches that we have, specifically in Phoenix, I believe, a culture of convenience, that we come to a nice church building, we drop our kids off in a nice space that's going to be fun and safe for the whole family, that we come in an air-conditioned room like this, and we, we take a seat, and people play nice songs for us, and we get to look at cute graphics on the screen and we we sit and we get fed and we consume and we're we're sometimes even entertained and it's all convenient and listen in our convenience when we see tragedy when we see suffering that's inconvenient we get frustrated don't we We get frustrated, we get annoyed with it, sometimes we're indifferent to it, sometimes we just think well I'll just look away I just won't turn on the news, and then maybe eventually it'll just subside, and we can just get back to our life, and we can go to Top Golf, and we can go eat out at restaurants, and we can have fun, and we can laugh, and it'll all just get back to normal, and, and we can get back to our convenience. And listen, my prayer for us this morning, my prayer for our church, is that God would move us from a place of convenience to a place of compassion. That what we see in the life of Jesus, what we see as he turns to his disciples, that we would experience the same thing. 
that instead of convenience, we would be moved to compassion because we have a compassionate God, and, and we don't have to wonder that. Listen, maybe some of you are wondering, like, how does God see all this? I mean, does he know what's happening? What does God think about all, the, all this? How does God respond to all this? Listen, you don't have to wonder that. We see it in the person of God, in the life of Jesus. He shows compassion. And that should be our response as well, that whatever your background, whatever your bias, you should see the brokenness of others. That however you walk in here, that you should be to your core, feeling compassionate, empathy, love, and concern for the people in our world. That that should be us as the church of Jesus Christ, that we would respond in compassion for both our friends and the people we don't know. For people who are like us and the people who aren't like us, for the people, listen, for the people you voted for and the people you did not vote for. That we would be a people of compassion. And so you say, well, what does that look like? Look at the text, verse 37. So Jesus has been looking at these crowds. He sees them. He responds in compassion. But it doesn't stop with him. He turns to his disciples. Verse 37, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to look at this. This is interesting. He says to his disciples, the laborers are few, but he doesn't go on to say, so why don't you guys quit sitting around and get to work? You see that? The laborers are few, but he doesn't send them right to action. And listen, this is different for some of us because maybe whether you've been in the church or not, some of you only know of God and only know of the way God directs and communicates with you in terms of guilt and shame. And maybe even right now, as I'm talking about compassion, I'm talking about the brokenness of our world, you come in here and maybe you feel a little bit guilty because you're like, yes, I like my convenience, Tim. I like the shopping malls. I like coming in here and just sitting and getting fed. I like my convenience, and now I feel a little bit guilty. Thank you. And now, yes, I guess I'll go hand out some tracks. I mean, I guess we could take a love offering. I mean, I'll get out my wallet. I'll do what I can, right? And you begin to feel guilted into doing something. And notice, that's not the character of Jesus. That's not what Jesus does in this moment. It's amazing. He instead calls his disciples, verse 38, look at the verse. Therefore, what? Pray. The laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. These people are being harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without shepherds. There's a problem. And what does Jesus call them to do? Pray. Pray earnestly. It seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, it seemed odd to me, honestly, as I read this, because I've, I've heard these verses a lot. I've read these verses before. The, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So, man, we got to get to work, right? Have you heard that? And it seemed odd to read that and see Jesus say, therefore, pray earnestly, because this should have been his Braveheart moment, right? <laughs> this should have been the part where he painted his face blue, and he went to the disciples, and he charged them to take that hill. 
to go get those crowds, to get off their butts and go do something. Like this should have been that moment, but it's not. Jesus instead says, pray and pray earnestly. You see, our greatest need as followers of Jesus is to engage God. That before we're moved to action, we're moved to prayer. That we need to, because we're a broken people, just like the world around us, that we're a broken people and we need to engage God. And we need to see the world as he sees the world, that we need to have our hearts and our minds aligned with his. And then out of that comes action. That as we look to a compassionate God, we become a compassionate people because that's how God works. If you look at Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love God and love your neighbor. He can't separate the two. And neither can you and I. As we look to God, we're going to look to people. We're going to be moved to action. But listen, we're going to be moved to action in a God-oriented way. In a God-centered way, not in a me-centered way. Because as I look at our culture, lots of people are saying a lot of stuff. Lots of people are doing a lot of things. But I don't know that I see God anywhere near most of it. And so what's the first thing we need to do in this season, in this time? We need to go to God. And some of you might be thinking, well, Tim, that sounds sweet, right? We just need to pray, right? Of course. Like, of course we're praying. Of course we, we pray. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that goes without saying. Like, like, what else do you have? We got to do something more, right? I mean, there are systemic issues in our country. There's systemic issues within us. We have to do something more. And what's interesting is you look at the sequence in Matthew In Matthew 9, and again, we don't have time to go into it today, but in Matthew 9, Jesus calls the disciples to pray. And then in Matthew 10, 10, right after this, verse 1, he calls them to go. So he's called them to pray, and then he calls them to go. He sends them out as laborers into the harvest, but not before they first pray. And as you read Matthew chapter 10, You see these 12 disciples who have just seen what Jesus has seen, have been moved to compassion, have prayed earnestly. They go out, and it is Braveheart. I mean, they confront evil in supernatural ways. They bring healing. They proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God, just like Jesus just did. And they go out to make an impact in the world around them, in the midst of the suffering around them. But it started with a sequence of prayer. And as you read the story of the Gospels, as you read the book of Acts, you'll know that these 12 disciples, as they prayed in this sequence, they prayed and then they went out. They didn't just impact some people around them. They impacted the world for Christ. They began to start churches. They started a movement of Christianity to to restore people back to their creator. And listen, as I, as I think about that, and I think about our opportunity in this moment, even for us as a church, we're, we're a church that's a little over a year and a half in, and we're in downtown Phoenix, the heart of our city, the urban core of our city. And listen, that's not a mistake, that's an opportunity. That as I look across this room, there are more than 12 people in this room. And just think about that for a second. The 12 disciples, they pray, and then they go. And God uses them to impact eternity 
What if however many people are in this room, way more than 12, what if we did the same? What if we followed that same sequence? What if we prayed earnestly and committed to do that and it wasn't cliche and it wasn't trite and it wasn't a tagline at the end of a Facebook post? What if we actually prayed? And what if we engaged God and saw his compassion for people and we began to see people that way and as God welled that up with deep within us, in our intestines, in our core, that we began to go out and act, that we began to go out and confront evil at every turn, that we began to go out and proclaim and practice the good news of the kingdom of God. What would happen if everybody in this room did that? What would happen if churches across our country did that? What would happen if in a lot of rooms right now, depending on their time zone, they're meeting like we are and they're sitting in comfortable chairs and we're sitting in air conditioning and we're processing these things together. What if we actually collectively as the church of Jesus Christ, what if we followed that sequence? What if we prayed earnestly and then God stirred our hearts to compassion and then stirred our hearts to action because that is the way it works. From the very beginning, that's the way it works that we say a lot around here that love moves. And that's not just a catchy graphic to put on the fence or on the website. That is the gospel. What would happen in our city? What would happen in our nation if we took those steps? Well, we're going to find out, right? <laughs> we're going to find out this morning. We're going to take some time and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray earnestly. And so here's what I would ask you to do. I'm going to ask some of the band. You guys can come up now. And as, as Dana comes up, she's going to just play behind us. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, we're going to have a few people read a psalm of lament, if you're not sure what that is, if you haven't been in church. Uh, that's an expression of sorrow and grief. And so some of our psalms are, are psalms of celebration, right, of victory. And then some of our psalms are just real, and I just love the Psalms. They're real and authentic, and they're, they're real people responding to a real God in real situations and circumstances. And there's times where they lament, and so we're going to do that. So they'll read a, a Psalm of lament, and then they'll introduce a topic, and then we'll spend a few minutes praying. And, and that could be in groups right where you are. You could just huddle up. Uh, we have these stairs right here. We have dark corners. Uh, we have every place possible in this huge space that you can go with your spouse, you can go with your community group, you can go with the people who brought you and you can spend some time in prayer. And we'll, we'll direct you as we go in three sections. I know some of this is, is new for you. Maybe some of you right now, you're just, you have uh, sweaty palms, right? Because you're like, hey, I just, I was just looking for some encouragement today. Like, I don't want to pray with people. I mean, that's kind of awkward. Listen, we're going to embrace the awkwardness, okay? We're going to embrace the awkwardness because, because we need God to move. And there's no pressure. You can pray silently. You can listen to others pray if, if this is new for you. Even if you're not a Christian, we can pray for you. But we're going to spend some time in prayer. And as we do that, I want to give you a few things to consider and um, as we pray today, as we pray this week, the first thing is this, that you would pray as if God is listening because he is. 1 John 5, 14 says this, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
The second thing, that you would pray in your clarity and your confusion. Romans 8, 26, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The third thing as you pray, pray knowing that we have an enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then fourth, that you would pray like you were helpless without God, because just like the crowds in Matthew 9, we all are. And so I'm going to invite up Samson. He's going to be the first one to to read and introduce our topic of prayer. And then we're going to invite you to pray for just a couple moments. And then we'll introduce our our next topic. So Samson's going to read for us. And listen, as you you consider those things, and Samson, you can go ahead and come up. uh, About the enemy, you need to know that the enemy is at work in all of this. And as Christians, that shouldn't scare us, but that should motivate us to pray and to be conscious of what God is is up to. Because as you respond to these different things, as you see other people respond and and you're, um, as you are offended, as you're urged to defend, to deflect, and not repent and confess, as you're urged to fight and not forgive, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. And so listen, as Christians, we don't operate according to the enemy. We don't operate according to our flesh. We operate according to God and his voice and his authority. And so that's that's when we go to him. That's why we cry out desperately for him. That's why we embrace the awkwardness and we pray. And so let's do that now. I'll be reading from Psalms uh, chapter 90, verses 1 through 6. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as a yesterday when it has passed, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. As we meditate on these uh, verses... Let's just pray for reconciliation and unity among ethnicities, nationalities, and personalities. Like Pastor Tim said, there's uh, an enemy at work, and he's going to try to cause division, but God is also at work. God God is at work in the hearts of people that are feeling hopeless, feeling lost and confused. So let's pray for all people that the enemy's plans are demolished in the name of Jesus because his blood and his power is above all. Let's take some time.
Lord, you know our hearts. Um, you know our confusions and doubts, Lord. And you know the confusions and doubts of the people in this world that are just lost and they don't, they don't see your kingdom. They don't see your power and your truth. And I pray that this situation, though it is terrible, I pray that you are able to work in that, Lord. And I pray as the battle for confusion and clarity goes on in the hearts of millions of Americans today, Lord, I pray that you are able to pierce through that. Your presence and your Holy Spirit is able to touch the heart of man and able to bring about a revival in this land, Lord God. That all may see you and be glor- and bring you glory and glorify your name above all other names. I pray for the hurting, I pray for the lost, and I pray that anger and frustration is overwhelmed by your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. My name is Ron, and we're going to continue in Psalm 90, starting with verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, and even if by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's take time to pray for those who who guide our city and our nation. Um, officials, law enforcement, government officials, government leaders. They all do these things. That's their job, and they are appointed by God. So let's lift them up in prayer and for respect, for care, for their their needs. They have families, too and uh, pray that uh, the tension would be reduced and that they could take joy in their jobs. Let's pray.
Let us pray. Lord, you've raised up leaders. You've raised up those who guide and direct our land. Um, we pray for the mayor of this city, that he may have wisdom. And we pray for the mayors and governors and for our representatives and senators and for our president. Lord, it says in the word that no one serves in those capacities except by your will. So we ask for wisdom, we ask for humility, and we ask for, um, for ourselves that we would put aside agendas, that we would put aside opinions, and that we would seek the good of the land that we live in. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. church. My name is Dave. I'm going to be reading from continuing on Psalm 90 verses 13 through 16. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servant. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad in our days. Make us glad for as many as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. This is a time where we will uh, reflect in, in prayer for uh, renewed hearts and minds for all of us. Uh, for the church, each one of us, in Jeremiah 17, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Um, and we've seen that in all of humanity, um, the depravity, and uh, just in all these news and events, uh, we, just, we see all these hearts that uh, need renovation. We need a renewed uh, sense of compassion. And uh, so at this time, we will reflect and we'll pray on, um, to be able, to, for all of us in our hearts, to be able to see, uh, to observe, to find opportunities. Uh, to go with, forth with that and pray, to lift that up to God, that as we observe that we would go and pray and take it directly to God and to see his will and his ways, uh, that we would ground that in the word and then also uh, act in a sense of renewed sense of urgency uh, for the world, uh, for compassion that we would have uh, in love and humility to act and help others to see um, the, the opportunities and actions and to praise our God. Go ahead and take a minute to do that.
our hearts are heavy in this time of confusion and time of sadness and sorrow and mourning. We pray that you would be with our hearts, Lord, the heaviness of the hearts, that those that are hardened hearts, those that are callous, Lord, we pray that you would just make our hearts like a sponge, soft and porous, Lord, able to be able to see your uh, understanding through knowledge and truth of your word. Help us to ground our lives, Lord, in scripture, and that we would be compassion, compassionate as uh, Jesus, the ultimate example of the great hope that we have in compassion, would be able to permeate into our hearts and into our minds and our souls. Lord, give us opportunities to see the oppression, to see the people in need of Phoenix, of the greater world. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to go out into that world and make a difference, Lord, to be able to act and to love and show humility to others, Lord, to be able to see people and see their hearts and not just another uh, person out there, Lord, but to see brothers, to see sisters, to rise up, Lord, and to bring them aside, Lord, uh, as Pastor Tim said, the laborers are few. We pray, Lord, with those few, those the chosen that you have called, Lord, that you would help us to bring glory to your name and to do the works and the things that you have set um, in, uh, in the foreknowledge, Lord, of us to be able to do and to glorify your name. We pray, Lord, for understanding and that we could be one family united, that, Lord, we would be able to show the hope of the gospel to all relationships and in all in our making it one of family, Lord, that you would help us as we wait for you, O oh Jesus. Come, Jesus. In your name I pray. <laughs>